Hey everyone and welcome back to another book podcast. Today's episode is part two of my chat with David Derbyshire as we get more in depth about the process of writing the 2022 Amazon bestseller The Sleep of Reason and rest assured David will be testing and rating Fox's Viennese Biscuit at the end of this episode. We hope you enjoy. Another big thanks to WF Howes who have kindly provided a second clip from The Sleep of Reason audiobook which is included at the end of this episode. As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode. I mean, even thinking about um, Line of Duty, are you a Line of Duty watcher? Love love it it. so much. It definitely is that kind of like, you obviously, they have the core team of three people in every season but they they are in an office where like everyone is working with them like it is such a massive team that like brings down the villain but you do for practicality reasons have to focus on just a few while also keeping it super authentic I mean that is like all the feedback we had was just wow like this is scarily realistic this thriller which is obviously which like, is, amazing no, yeah. amazing feedback to read yeah, which is great no i mean i'm a big i love line of duty i love happy valley which um at time of recording this is is still on at the moment but it's just just amazing amazingly good i think it does still feel like we're living this golden era of tv drama at the moment yes. this is kind of so much amazing stuff going on but i'm a, I'm a big fan of those um those shows um i think mark is as well and i think that's i mean i think Mark was telling me that he, you know, he likes these shows, but he can watch them knowing that it's nonsense. Yeah, that doesn't interrupt his enjoyment of it. You know, um, if I'm reading a book about set in a, you know, set in a newspaper office and it's clearly nonsense, you just you notice that it's nonsense, but you can still enjoy the story, yes. the characters, and the plot. So, um, not going to yeah. tweet being like, "This is ridiculous. Ruined How can you them. air this ruined, show?" <laughs> ruined. Yeah, exactly. This is neither a valley or happy. Yeah. Ruined it for me entirely. The yeah. police would never work like that. This is far too entertaining. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But it's—I mean—it's it's a strange thing, isn't it? The whole notion of a of a of of kind of a crime fiction being a source of entertainment for people, and mm. it's kind of—it's it's a strange business. And I mean, there is this sub sub um, group. Uh, what do you call it? Sub genre yeah. of cozy crime. You know, the Richard Osman and the Agatha Christie, which yes. is sort of interesting. It's fascinating, isn't it? That it's humans that we we find that entertaining, have done yes. for thousands of years. Yeah, and, just absolute comfort in... Uh, and yeah, in, in, yeah, the most brutal things. In solving a murder, it's yeah. Very strange. And, if, I mean, one thing we dis- I discovered writing compared to TV is that it just a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. And we we, 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 weren't, we really felt we weren't being prurient um, in any of the scenes we described. And some of them are pretty horrible. We begin with a um, quite a nasty terrorist attack on a roller coaster. Um, where you know the the, the 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 kind of we've got this very kind of uh, far right na- neo Nazi guy um, attacking people on the road coaster while they're strapped in. It's a, it's a really frightening scene. Brutal. But we we were kind of pulled the lens back using TV pilots because we didn't you know it, it, it's very a little goes a long way, doesn't yes. it? When you're reading stuff, yeah. Um, and you, you know um, we we were kind of trying to be as sensitive as we can to that, yeah. While getting the the, the chill of oh my god that would be really horrible. Yes, I mean, and also. Different. What, who's to say this couldn't happen as yes. well? There's always, I th- think that's like a kind of thing in the back of everyone's mind when reading it is just like 
any of this is plausible. Yeah, and we had to make changes because we wrote about things and then the similar things happened in the real world, so we had to a change them. Too, too yeah, much of I mean, a parallel. That was kind of, yeah, that was the, yeah, that, that was part of the, part of the, part, part of it. But yeah, I'm sure that must have been so difficult trying to, for, for Mark in particular as well, from drawing on reality while also not just writing a memoir or writing exactly kind of what's happening yeah, in he was politics re- and Mark was or really crime. Sa- yeah, yeah. So all the politicians are fictional and all the all the things that he talks about are fictional, but they're all based on what might what might happen. Yeah, um, and I think that's a really like nice balance because true crime is like has taken off, I feel, in the past couple yeah. of years, specifically on streaming services like Netflix. The amount of true crime that's on there is incredible. And I know so many people who absolutely love watching a documentary because like, I think it is, there's something about it. It's the, tr- it's the truth of it. The fact that this actually happened means that it's just so engaging, not entertaining and not, oh, great, I love this. It's just there is something addictive about knowing that yeah. this actually happened and needing to know all the yeah. information. Yeah. And I feel, but then for me, that it's too intense because I don't want to know what happened to people because it's just, I, I'm far too frail. Too, I think yeah. it's too horrible. But, you know, there is no, there is no light without darkness. You know, yes. you, you know you've got to be aware and to know about sometimes you know the the negative part of human nature to appreciate you know the the, the good bits that, that make it even better yeah That's a bit too profound um, no but I, I completely understand what you're saying like yeah there's uh you know you can then go and watch a comedy show if you want but you need to understand that while all those things are super light-hearted horrible things are still happening and it's really in the world and it's really important i think as well that when you when you you know when you offer a book out to, to readers that they, they they kind of know that by the end of it on the whole, uh, good will triumph. I think there aren't many yes. crime books or thrillers that end on a very bleak. Oh, and by the way, you know everything goes wrong, and it's nothing. I mean, I'm sure there are. There is, I'm sure there are those things. Yeah. So I think you have to. You, you've got to be aware. You know, when you, you've got to always be aware if you read, haven't you? That you, 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 you they're, they're reading this on trust that it will be okay by the end. Yeah, and be somehow. resolved. But it may not be resolved in the way that they think, and then yes. maybe loose ends, and then maybe odd things they're not expecting yes. but they will get a sense of closure on this yeah and, uh, maybe one person or something yeah. will get away with yeah. this that or the so, other yeah. I mean always good for you know if someone's writing a sequel to let someone get well, away and then bring well, on the next one that. but funny you say that. so yes I mean we left this very much with you know it's 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 tied up but with the potential for more and who knows what might happen in the future? Mark 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 Rowley is is somewhat busy at the moment as <laughs> Metropolitan Commissioner. With, with what? <laughs> He's doing a few quite busy, but you know he he'll be uh, there'll be some stage in the future. We'll 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 see. We'll see. It'd be, it would be nice to maybe have I mean, a sequel down the line in a few years. Sophie time. Gabriel might have another case in her yet. In a few you years you time, never yes. know. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. It would be nice, but uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I do. I am definitely a fan of, you know, when there are kind of uh, sequels or even prequels to any sort of book if, if they're for a crime book if there is a central character if they're the ones that show up again yeah great but if it's the same villain that keeps getting away then that can be harder to yeah. go along yeah. with i mean i yeah. guess if it's a if it's a cozy crime i think you you might take solace in that because it's more familiar and you're like okay we know who we're after yeah. and then you change up other elements but for me it's like keeping the detective the same and changing the villain and, is such a great and and not even you know keep detectives about have a completely different investigation you know? yes I mean, a completely different crime a different world a different scenario yeah. yes you don't want Moriarty popping up although Moriarty 
didn't always pop up in the books. He was in one short story, and then much later was retrospectively added into a long story. Oh, That's really? That's my nerdy Sherlock Holmes knowledge coming out there, yes. Well, it's, I was th- uh, Sherlock Holmes is just constantly in my head when talking about crime, but, you know, even what we were saying about keeping it realistic in terms of, like, the team and everything, you know, Sherlock Holmes gets away with it because he's this eccentric, like, completely doesn't follow the rules character. So he, you know, while his character like realistically might have been at a desk constantly in an office constantly researching because he just doesn't follow any of the rules or societal kind of standards he's out and about running around was, all yeah. over london Kerlin, i mean Kerlin Dorr made i mean he, he knew what he was doing he was clever he made him a boxer he was a he was yeah. a university amateur boxer he was very competent and he was very physical as well and was you know he, he was it, it, it was my intro, sherlock holmes was my introduction to Crime. I mean, mm. you can't have a better introduction. Yes. When you, I think it was ten or eleven, and I sort of picked up the Hound of the Baskervilles, uh, which is now available. Um, legend classic. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do that. have it. It's a legend earlier. classic. But it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I was, I was hooked, and I just loved it. And I, and, and it's a, very, it's a very cosy world, and it's yeah. a very safe world, but it's a great introduction, and that that opens up the door to then you're into Agatha Christie, and then mm-hmm. you know, I, I sort of had a childhood of my teenage years of just reading. <laughs> mostly Edwardian it felt like Edwardian fiction so I discovered P.G. Woodhouse there's a lot to read there if you want as a hundred books and M.R. Wow. James you know that kind of wonderful ghost stories there's a whole a whole era of that kind of um, era of fiction which I just loved as a teenager I don't think I read an, a modern book till I was about 16 really at that point were um, you um, a bit a bit different to like Sherlock Holmes were you a James Bond fan at all yes oh, oh such a huge Bond fan my mum and dad had an old battered I think it was a Picador or Pan copy of, of uh, From Russia with Love and Doctor okay. No. And I remember reading those when I was about 13. They're quite racy when you're 13, back in the 1980s. That is quite, quite, a, quite an adult read for um, and I've, and I kind of And I, I actually got them all out to read. And I think I just bought the set about 20 years ago. And they're, yeah, they've, I mean, they're great books. They're, bits have, you could possibly say, have, have not aged as well as other bits. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He was, um, but what, what's amazing about them, so you probably need a trigger warning nowadays for, before you started reading them, but what's amazing, particularly those early ones, because they're written in the 50s, is A, how exotic going to France was for, for you know, for, for, right. for the kind of post-war audience. And, you know, the whole of the first Casino Royal is set in, I think he's even set in, in, in northern France. I may have got that wrong. But it's but it was exotic because it was in France. That was one thing. But the thing that's really bizarre is his obsession, Ian Fleming's obsession with food. And a James Bond spends the first three books just eating nothing but fresh orange juice, coffee, champagne and scrambled eggs. All the things that you couldn't get. All the luxuries. The, so it, they weren't full of sort of titillation and sex particularly, but it was just full of titillating food, which yes. in an austere post-war ration Britain... You know, the idea of someone tucking into a plate of freshly cooked scrambled eggs and bacon in the morning mm-hmm. and then fresh coffee. Fruit was, platters. Yeah, and... <laughs> it's, it's, the, food, the food drops a bit. Um, and my, my favourite of all those books is, this, is Thunderball, which is just the maddest, maddest spy book. Um, nothing to do with the film. Um, um, nothing to do with the film at all. Sorry, not Thunderball, Moonraker. Nothing to do with the film. The first half is James Bond playing bridge in a club against the villain and he tricks him. Okay. And it's just, and it was just showing. And then the second half is set in Kent, at a uh, at, at Britain's new nuclear deterrent, which is being staffed entirely by Germans. Sort of six years Genius after the pace. Second World War, <laughs> it's the strangest book you've ever read. Um, and they're very eccentric books, but they're wonderful. 
at some level. So yeah, I'd love that. I did love. I love. I love James Bond. I do feel like that. That is definitely you know the other end of things. I'm sure anyone watching from MI5 would probably be like, that's yeah. I don't. I don't think it was. Well, I mean, my other one. My other favorite authors is Le Carre, who John Le Carre, who wrote. who wrote his books as an antidote to James Bond because he was so fed up with this. So he wrote this world of seedy, sweaty people who were desk-bound bureaucrats. And I mean, mean, Smiley is just a genius genius character. I mean, to do that and to do it well is incredible. I mean, he's he's, he's written some... um, I think he's one of... He's not underrated because people love him, but he is one of the great literary authors of the late 20th century, John le Carre. He's just absolutely terrific. And he's because he wrote about Spy, because he did genre fiction, mm. he's not as valued as he should be as a writer. But, oh, my goodness, um, you know, uh, Tinker Taylor, which has just been repeated on BBC Three recently, so that's, or BBC Four. That's been on my list an amazing for ages. series. Very interesting p- to watch. Um, but The Spy Came In For The Cold is just one of the great books of all time. It's just absolutely brilliant and the other the other the other one that the other the other writer i just loved again the old these are just talking about old school books <laughs> anything modern was frederick forsyth and actually the sleeper reason owes a lot in a way to the day of the jackal which is his first great book because it's sort of it's it's weirdly frederick forsyth wrote the most extraordinary book so this is about an assassin who's been hired to kill charles de gaulle now we know when you're reading the book that charles de gaulle isn't killed you know that yeah. the assassin fails but you're still reading and he shows you the assassin and he shows you him plotting and gathering his stuff to do the hit but you don't quite know how he's going to do it yeah. because he drops little clues until the final scene and suddenly we reveal how he's going to do it so that's amazing and at the same time he's following you're following the police the french police who are always one step behind him but they're always behind him mm-hmm. and actually that formula that that not formula that way of doing it is actually sort of what we were doing we realized i think after we've written it in the sleep of reason we've got you know you particularly in the second half of the book where you've got this Islamist plot you know they're doing something and you're following them but you don't know what it's going to be yeah. and the police are behind them and I think we'd written it and suddenly realised we'd kind of done us almost a, a, a foresight <laughs> yeah but it's a great it's a, but it's a great way of doing it because it keeps you hooked and you're also dropping what foresight was brilliant at was dropping little realistic facts in there yeah. so he he um, his his character the jackal gets a false identity at one point by um, going to a churchyard, finding the grave of a boy who died as a, as a baby, getting there and writing off for a copy of that birth certificate and then sending that off to the passport office and getting a passport in that name because at that point they didn't check against the death certificates. They do, uh, they did after that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I hope they do now. Yeah, they, they do now, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, and that was, that was and I, I think even when he wrote it, that was something that happened in the past. But it was a, but it was that lovely example of that kind of little trick, yeah. a bit like the kind of, what we try to do in the book that just makes it a bit more interesting to read. I mean, it? that's incredible. I had no idea that he was the one who, like, kind of yeah. brought that to light. As I think a, so. It's a just, way this, of doing I mean, it. might need to Google it to double check it, but yeah. I think or it, d- but to probably, like, include it in literature yeah, yeah, exactly. kind of first is, is yeah. so incredible. It definitely is that kind of thing, like, in your book where you've just got those little eggs of, of truth in there that really, like, ground it. And yeah. I definitely am. Um, a fan of, of that, you know, kind of moving on from the whodunit question that is kind of key in so many crime books to the how have they done it, why are they doing it, and what are they going to yeah. do? Yeah. And it is just, you know, because the whodunit books are, you know, they kind of peak when you find out who has done it. The yeah. question has been answered, and then the book gets wrapped up, and, and that's kind of it. Whereas, like... <laughs> 
I was holding my breath yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out what they were going to do and you actually knew when it was happening like when they tell you because you know without giving too much away they tell you when it's going to happen they figure out the date but they still don't know what's happening what? on what that process, date yeah. and it was so tense yeah. <laughs> my heart was in my throat well, I, mean, I, I think that's I mean that's the difference isn't it between a kind of a police a whodunit and a thriller so the whodunit is you don't know who's done it you know what they've done mm-hmm. and a thriller is you know who's doing it but you don't know what they're going to do yes. and I mean that's that's the two, the two, um, the, the the two sort of contrasts. Um, what we discovered when we when we were sort of pitching this as a book was there aren't many books that are kind of thrillers involving domestic terrorism set in the UK. Yes, um, so true. and actually there, we we looked around to try and say, well, what's this like? And we, there are obviously lots of terrorism books and there are lots of thrillers set in the UK, um, but there was nothing quite like this. Um, um, which was yeah, which was surprising. I guess I guess it's 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 quite challenging, isn't it? Because you suddenly to be confronted with the idea that terrorism is a real threat on your doorstep. Yes, is is happening is, in, you, your hometown, yeah, you, yeah. in your it's home easy, country. Yeah, it's easier to read about these things happening, you know, in far flung parts of the world. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, but yeah, so that was good. And so, what are you reading at the moment? What's uh, your oh. your book of choice at the moment? Well, I've, I've was um, I'm always about three or four years behind everyone else. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a book, I'm, uh, the book I was just reading, actually, I'm halfway through it, and I'm absolutely loving it. Susanna Clarke's um, Piranesi, which was about three or four years ago. It's my daughter's recommendation. Excellent um, recommendation but it is, your daughter. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, she's she wrote um, Stranger Norris, didn't she? Uh, Nor- Norell, um, which was that wonderful kind of fantasy book about um that was like 15 16 20 years ago wasn't it um which was an amazing magical dreamlike just wonderful um wonderful book and this is much shorter um and it's, it's absolutely brilliant i'm loving it and it's it starts off and it's, it's a very dreamlike it's the book that you read and you carry on thinking about it in your sleep and it's oh, it's, okay. it's, it's wonderful it's, it's it, it starts off almost a kind of magical just this magical fantasy world which you're absolutely baffled by and it becomes clearer and clearer what's happening um and massively influenced by c.s lewis and the narnia stories and ah. i was a big fan of that as a kid as well so it's great yes. so loving that and also um what else have we read well actually set it set in stone i read recently which i um by uh, stella stella brinzianu i believe which is, is a, how you pronounce she's it? a it's, it's, it's absolutely really really lovely book it's a kind of um retelling of a moldovian folk story and uh, yeah. but updated not updated in time but updated in in kind of told from the woman's perspective. identity yeah, yeah it's updated and it's just beautifully written and um i think she's done one of the podcasts hasn't she yes she, she was on our podcast um, last week so yeah so, so i really really enjoyed that so i'm recommending that to everyone because it's just a great great it is great so read. good and you know we spoke about that on our podcast as well but her um like she drops in um some romanian words like throughout the book um yeah that's right with the glossary at the back and i just loved that that you know not so similar to what you're doing with like you know those elements of the police that you you know wouldn't have otherwise known if it weren't for mark it's that idea of like really grounding it in like you're truly transported to that world because of these little words that you wouldn't have otherwise known which you stop looking at the glossary after the after bit yes yeah yeah. i I had the bookmark with all of the words on it so i could keep understanding what was happening it's it's a great book and it has that and it just builds and builds and builds and it Mm. sort of starts off quite gently but then it's it's just really really enjoyed that it is that there's so many sort of different threads that all kind of 
come together. It's like, oh, yeah, it's really and really beautifully written as well. Yeah. Stella's turn of phrase is so lovely. Yeah. And then next I've got to decide whether I'm going to read uh, Spare by Prince Harry or not. I'm gone. As someone who has no interest or opinion on the monarchy, I'm also quite interested in, you know, this could be my my, you know, in, um, introduction to the yes. Harry Williams story. Do you have um, Audible? Uh, yes, I do. Well, um, I've seen lots of people uh, listening to it because he reads it. Does he? Yes. OK. Oh, that'd be interesting. I've seen a, uh, quite a few TikToks of uh, people reacting to what he's saying because obviously there are some kind of, I would say, somewhat explicit scenes about his sex life that he yes. is reading out loud and um, something about an Elizabeth Arden lip balm or something. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I might may 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 or may not. Get <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's going to convince you to read it or put you off reading it. But I I do think it would actually be a great audible one because I always love it when like an author's reading it to you. I think that's a great selling point for an yeah. an audible book. But when it's Prince Harry, I think that's yeah. a yeah. pretty key selling point. But yeah, no, I'm I'm torn as to whether to read it my tbr is so long anyway i don't know whether i can bear yes. adding another one to the well, list as i said mine's about two years two two years yeah. um, two years pile with books on the side there and we've got um quite a few coming out that i would highly recommend to you right okay so you you, you're gonna have have more but I um i don't know how people keep on top of reading i mean I, I oh think, i have no idea i follow bloggers and they just seem to spend their lives reading and i'm sitting oh, feeling inadequate yeah but I, I only manage sort of a book every few weeks. And, and it's like and they've I'm... got the, um, like, out of 100, how many books they've read this year. And I'm yeah. like, please don't count mine. <laughs> yeah, anyway. A disgrace to my publishing company if, <laughs> if anyone knew how many books I read a year. So how many is the quality? E- exactly. And um depends how many times you've read the same book, you know, <laughs> being being in the publishing do you, company. Do you, do you ever read books a second time? Um, Probably. I don't think I've ever read um a book like of my own accord the second time but like we'll read a manuscript and then I'll read the final copy um, because sometimes it can change so much so in a way you're not really rereading the same thing um I think there are a few books that I would read again it's one of the one of the beauties of getting old and getting middle-aged in your 50s is that um you can pick up a book that you've read before I've no like idea. Like reading it again. Yeah, I've I've done that with books, and halfway through, this is very familiar. Yeah, this feels like something else. And I realise it's I've read the book twenty years earlier. But that's nice, isn't it? Because you get you know. I mean, I have the same conversation with my with my mum, except she's read it the week before, and she's like, "Oh, this looks like a good book." I'm like, "You put it on my bed last week after you finished reading yeah. it." Yeah. Well, you know. So you know, it's I mean, it is great to re-experience a book, but um, there's only a few that I would actually read again, knowing what happens um, mm. and everything, and that's on a briefly gorgeous by Oshun Vyong right. I think that's how you say his name he was originally um, a poet and mm. then he wrote like a novel about his life incredible and quite short mm. as well which is a selling point these days to me because <laughs> I need to need to get through them uh, and Rodham by uh, Curtis Sittenfeld okay. um, which is the retelling of uh, Hillary Clinton and what would have happened had she not married Bill Oh, that sounds good. Fascinating. Okay, I'll add that to so, my... So, so good. Well... My large pile. I, I can, yeah, I can send you all of the books that you need to read. Although I did just buy Rodham for someone in a secret Santa. That's how much I loved it. thought it was that good. <laughs> but yes, we'll take a little break. We'll have um, our biscuit for the week is the Fox's Viennese milk chocolate. And uh, we'll give it a rating out of 10. 
Okay, so we've just tried Fox's Viennese milk chocolate, which, for anyone that doesn't know, is too... Would you say they're shortbread? Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's it's a very distinct... It's like a shortbread, very crisp. And, and like, buttery. You can tell that there's a whole load of butter in there. Two, like, buttery kind of biscuits sandwiched together, and there's uh, chocolate in the middle. And... uh, (laughs) Sorry, I'm knocking them all over the table, so I'm looking to see whether they're shortbread. How are they described as... They're just disc- Viennese biscuits. Just Viennese. Vi- oh, okay. Well, if yeah. anyone knows what a Viennese biscuit is, it's that. But yes, it's uh, got chocolate in the middle, and this is one of my all-time favourite biscuits. I- I'll give it a nine out of ten because I love it so much. But I'm going to save that ten because maybe one day a biscuit will just knock it out of the park. But it's definitely a nine, if not a nine point five. I love these biscuits so much. David, what did you yeah, think? Yeah, I know. No, they're they're great. I mean, Fox's biscuits are. I'm a big fan of Fox's biscuits. They're kind Elite. of one of those brands. Everyone knows about McVitie's, don't they? Whatever. But actually, Foxes are pretty impressive. Um, they've got a good range. They do the party ring. Oh, great who biscuit. doesn't love a party, the party ring? ring? That is shortbread. Shortbread with the little icing. Is that shortbread? Yeah, that's a shortbread. Okay. Again. They do the crunch, those 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 crunch and the ginger crunch ones and the oh the yeah, cream. yeah yeah. I mean, so the Fox is a good biscuit. Um, yeah, eight. I'd say eight. Okay, eight. I'd that's give it an eight. And I'm strong. and I'm fussy. And I'm fussy. Um, but eight, maybe eight, nine. No, eight. I'll stick with eight. But it's good. Uh, it's, I've, I've done the dunk test as well, and it holds together well. Doesn't um, break off in the drink. Doesn't break off in the drink, and it absorbs a little bit, but not too much. Yeah. And yeah, it's good biscuit overall. Perfect amount. Is there any biscuit you can think of that you would give a ten? Um, it would have to be a homemade biscuit. It would have to be something okay. that someone would have to homemade, freshly warm on a tray. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Biscuits are strange, aren't they? Because actually, most homemade cakes are better than almost every shop cake. Yeah. But it's very fine, very rare to, to get homemade biscuit that's mm. as good as a really good shop biscuit. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of those strange things of life. Um, so I, I'm, a, yeah, big fan of shortbread, homemade shortbread. Mm. But that that's pretty good. Yeah. Cookies, I think, are different because I, I, they kind of fall in the biscuit realm, but also not. And I think cookies are ten times better when they're homemade. Yes. But yeah, I, I would right. always buy a biscuit in a store and never think to make one. Do you, do you, to me, to me, one of the great underrated biscuits is the custard cream oh, absolutely right the custard cream do you know what i've discovered literally in the past couple of weeks is the it's like a custard cream it has that same center but it's two malted milks either side oh that's interesting oh it's a game changer okay it's a so game the, so changer the, so the, the chocolate coated malted milk is pretty good it's fantastic that's pretty special yeah that's good I, 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 yeah even well, a plain malted milk i just yeah. enjoy a malted milk but in the custard cream form, it's something special. When I was a kid, we had a cat, a giant tabby, and I offered him a malted milk, and he actually licked a hole through the malted... Probably terrible <laughs> for him. It's a hole through the biscuit. So that's how good they are, how malty they are. How, um, how milky they are. How, yeah, and probably, yeah, it was a strange cat. But yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, and the, the most overrated biscuit is... Well, it's not the digestive, is it? Because no one likes digestives, really, do they? It's the chocolate digestive. Massively overrated. Do you think? Yeah, massively overrated. Cheap See? chocolate. Eat the chocolate on its own, it's meh. It's not great. I I don't I don't mind a digestive. I I actually can't think of. I mean, to be fair, I can't think of many biscuits I wouldn't eat. But a plain digestive is maybe one of them. I I can't deal with a plain digestive. And we always have them in my house because my parents eat them, um, like two at a time with butter in the middle. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I that's mean, my mum is Northern Irish, so that might have something to do. With I once had but... home, homemade um, homemade um, cheesecake, which is a digestive with cream cheese and sugar. 
whipped together and sprinkled on top. That's quite nice. I love, a, it's true, I love a digestive base for a cheesecake. Cheese. But actually, yeah. I've discovered, I made one recently with Biscoff biscuits yeah. as the base. Yeah. And I think I preferred that. I've been trying, trying with the ginger ginger snap as well. That's Oh, okay. That's interesting. Worst biscuit, probably the fig roll, if it's a biscuit. Oh, right, yes. Disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, and I'm not a fan of, like, any of the... Not really a gingerbread fan. I like a ginger biscuit, but the gingerbread man is not my not, 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 not my favourite. No, yeah. No. But great, thank you so much, and thanks so much for coming no, on and doing me. this all twice. <laughs> and that's all for this week. A huge thank you again to David for his fantastic insights into crime writing and Fox's Viennese biscuits. Make sure to tune in again on Monday the 1st of May as I'll be sharing my incredibly interesting chat with Will Harris, CEO of independent publisher Unbound. Unbound has a very unique publishing process unlike any other and we'll be finding out all about it next time. I had such a great time chatting to Will, he has so many fascinating things to say about the world of publishing, you don't want to miss it. Until then, have a great Monday everyone and we hope you enjoy the second chapter of The Sleep of Reason. Day 1. Wednesday afternoon. Chiltern Park, Kent. Detective Superintendent Sophie Gabriel spotted the staff entrance to Chiltern Park a fraction of a second after her driver passed it. Bugger, it's there. Back there, she said. Her driver, Detective Sergeant Jorrell Campbell, braked hard and swerved into a lay-by, using it to do an imprudent U-turn across four lanes before heading back up the road. Ten seconds later, he threw the Volvo around the corner into the narrow track, sending a water bottle tumbling across the back seat. Campbell opened his window and waved his ID card at the rat-faced security man on the barrier and was ushered through, past two cars and a TV news van parked on the verge. Two journalists clutching notepads shouted out as they drove under the lifted barrier, but Gabriel didn't catch the questions. A high-profile murder like this came with a wave of adrenaline for Gabriel, usually followed by an even bigger backwash of guilt that the excitement came at the expense of other people's misery. Three years earlier, a colleague had returned from a trip to Chicago with a T-shirt for Gabriel depicting a corpse and the slogan, When your life ends, our work begins. It was crass, but lurking beneath the joke was an irrefutable truth. As their journey from London had progressed, Gabriel had been conscious of a growing thrill. A sensation she had missed during these last few weeks trapped behind her desk. Crime scene visits were rare now for Gabriel, and she had grabbed the opportunity to travel to Chilton Park with almost indecent relish. Being at the park would make it easier for her to visualise the crime scene as she directed the investigation in the days to follow. She had googled Chilton Park as she waited for Campbell to pick her up, it had emerged 30 years ago on a former gasworks in the shadow of the Dartford Crossing, thanks to a healthy sprinkling of European regeneration cash, and was the UK's fourth most popular theme park. It was handy for the M25, and good for the day-trippers from East London and Kent, but, as Gabriel had discovered that morning, a pain to reach from the centre of the city. Even with a blue light, the drive had taken a frustrating 50 minutes. She had used the journey to make calls, getting updates from Kent Police Control Room and the duty detective inspector at the scene, discussing lines to take for the ravenous press and ensuring that the manhunt for this Fletcher was underway. 